A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And of course you'd be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we're going to be joined by Paul Given. Paul has been a member of the Northern Ireland Assembly since 2010 and recently served as First Minister, becoming the youngest person to hold that office. We'll discuss his time at the top of Northern Irish politics and how his faith drives him in his work. But first, we're about to have a new Prime Minister again. There are football teams mired in a relegation battle who've changed their leadership fewer times than the UK has since September. So does this make Britain Wolverhampton Wanderers, I wonder? Anyhow, some people say that no one who is actually suited to be Prime Minister ever wants to do the job. The theory goes that if you think that you are competent, talented and popular enough to lead an entire country, it is likely that you may have a rather high confidence to ability ratio, a lack of self-awareness and therefore maybe a tendency to think that you don't need to listen to advice. Sometimes personal ambition comes almost hand in hand with a lack of wisdom. Don't I know it? Like all such theories, there is something in this. It is important to understand that humility and recognition of your own weaknesses are key to being a good leader. Humble people understand that they don't know everything and can then reach out, if they also have decent judgment, for the right kind of advice and help. In recent times, we have seen failures in leadership at the top of our country. Those failures go to underline the fact that the character of our leaders is really important not just some old-fashioned quirk. Our leaders need to be more than just popular or charismatic. It also matters that they have integrity, judgment, and wisdom. Humility is key to all of these, and yet humility seems to be lacking in leadership. I mean, why would someone who wants to lord it over people need to be humble? It's a contradiction, isn't it? On this programme, we want to encourage Christians to care about politics and to even get their hands dirty in this mucky business directly. For some Christians, I know that while the tussle between pride and humility may be present, there is another challenge, imposter syndrome, the sense that we aren't good enough to be wherever it is that God has put us. Even after 17 and a half years in Parliament, I do sometimes feel imposter syndrome creeping upon me. It's that feeling that you're a fraud, inadequate, not up to it, not as capable or deserving as all those other people who've clearly got it together so much better than you. And that sooner or later, you're going to get found out for just being a bit useless. Christians who get overwhelmed by imposter syndrome should remember that we have been put in the positions that we find ourselves in for a reason. The account of Esther in the Bible teaches that sometimes, for reasons beyond our understanding, we are put in positions of significance, influence or even power. We have to trust that God has a plan for us and that we are made for such a time as this. Whatever that plan may be, it's not for us to know why we've ended up where we are. But we must trust God and use our position for good. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul says, The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses 
in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. But when I am weak, then I am strong. This verse speaks for itself. It is important to admit our mistakes, our weaknesses and our failures and to rest in God's strength. The Christian teacher, the late Selwyn Hughes, once said, Christians should walk humbly with their God, but they should walk at their full height, remembering whose child they are. Therefore, when we are struggling with imposter syndrome, let us not confuse that feeling with humility. We were made perfectly in the image of God. If we're trusting in Jesus, then our weakness is what makes us strong. He makes us strong. In Proverbs, it says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Where people lack humility, they won't seek wise advice and they will lack wisdom themselves. We have seen such examples in government recently, of course. Jesus provides the countercultural, radical example of leadership, all powerful yet humble, empowered yet choosing not to lord it over people, instead serving them at enormous cost to himself. In our culture, this seems so alien, yet it is so attractive too. Christians can and must model this servant-hearted leadership in our politics, but we can only do that if we throw off the imposter syndrome and humbly accept whatever calling we have received. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. And so to our guest this week, Paul Given is the member of the Northern Ireland Legislative Assembly for Lagan Valley and a former First Minister of Northern Ireland. Uh, Paul, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Good morning. Thank you, Tim. Pleasure to join you. Well, let's just start where, well, maybe the most important place. Tell us a little bit about your faith and how you came to believe in Jesus? Well, brought up in a very Christian home um, where mum and dad would have had us at church as much as they possibly could. So Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek, uh, Bible study, prayer meetings, children meetings. And that was the kind of environment that I was being brought up in. And, and just in the, in the home place, a mum and dad that lived out their faith and you know regularly would have told us bible stories in the evening and very fortunate just to have been brought up in a home uh, with loving parents who, who very much showed their christian faith and how they, they brought me up and i knew at a very early age just in a, in a very simplistic way mum and dad were going to go to heaven um one day but i knew that just because mum and dad were christians and just because i went to church that that wasn't going to work for for me that's not how you get to heaven um you have to have a personal relationship with jesus and and one of the verses very important to me is john 3 16 very familiar to people mm. you know for god so loved the world and i remember that was personalized to me so that yeah. it was for god so loved paul that he gave his only son and that really struck home that you know um, that gospel message yes it's universal but it has to be personal and so at a very young age, I put my trust in, in Jesus just whenever I was like five, six years of age. And uh, yeah, um, and, and from there, just kept going in, in my, my Christian life. Two brothers, two sisters. Again, very, very blessed that all of them um, put their trust in, in the Lord and a sister who's involved in, in a church over in Manchester with young people. And uh, just very fortunate to have that kind of godly family around me to encourage and support. And you got to what, 16 or 17 and you found yourself somewhat challenged and uh, you that perhaps led to a, a deeper commitment, but in the first place, a little uncertainty. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I suppose you go through primary school, very easy being a Christian in primary school and, you know, um, 
had school assemblies and, and, and there wasn't a lot of challenge there. Then you moved to secondary school and it was a, a, a big change in the culture and environment. And you know, where I would have been challenged as a teenager about my faith. And I was trying to fit in while still trying to be a Christian um, and not doing that very well. And, uh, you know, almost having two feet in both camps, so to speak. Yeah. And it was yeah. those Christian camps when I was 16 um, I can remember being challenged at one of the meetings where the speaker asked everybody that were Christians to write your name on a piece of paper and bring it up. And he had a cardboard cross there and he just asked to publicly identify in front of other people that you were a Christian. And I didn't do that. And I felt really embarrassed about you know having to get up and let other people know that I was Christian. And, and after that meeting, I really had a, a sense of conviction you know, came on me that in front of other Christians, I was afraid to, to publicly identify um, with, with being a Christian. And, you know, I can remember praying about that and, and asking that the Lord would really help me. And there was another camp actually within a couple of weeks of that experience. And there were other Christian people there from my um, local town. And uh, I became really good friends with them. And, and it was from that point at, at around 16, where I felt if you're going to be a Christian, um, you have to be prepared to to get out there into a more public space and not to be ashamed um, of, of your faith. And do you think that experience of, I guess, feeling ashamed of being ashamed, if you see what I mean, um, has that kind of permeated how you've been in public life since, that sense that I don't want to deny him again? I mean, you've not mentioned the uh, the, the, the account of, of Peter denying Jesus three times, but we've all been there, I certainly have. Does that resonate with you now as a as an adult that 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 um, that feeling you had when you almost disappointment in yourself, which I totally identify with, by the way, um, uh, back then that that kind of keeps you on the straight and narrow now? Yeah, it, it definitely does challenge. Um, and I think it's it's a judgment call, too, that I find making you know, every day in, in public life. And I think that's something that Christians do in whatever sphere of, yeah. you know, service they're involved in. Um, when you, you live out your, your Christian faith and how you conduct yourself, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to say to everybody, I'm a Christian and uh, I would love you to be one too. You, you know, you, you, you hope by the, the example that you're living and listen, you know, we all fail and, and we don't always live our lives the way we ought to, but um, you try and live it out and people should see by the way you go about your work, how you conduct yourself, that you know, there's something different about that individual. What is it that makes them that way? And that can help with conversation. And then there's other time where you, you do have to just say publicly, this is what I believe. Um, yeah. um, it's my faith. And you take a, a position on something and that won't always please people. And so you make that judgment in conversations with people. Um, and and I, I do that um, every day. And sometimes there are opportunity to, to speak to people about your Christian faith in a more overt fashion. Um, but you also hope in the way that you conduct yourself that people can see that there's maybe something different about how believers go about their, their everyday work. Now, around this time in your kind of mid to late teens, uh, politics became interesting to you too. Tell me about that. And, and why did the Democratic Unionist Party appeal and draw you into active politics well at, at that age of 16 the belfast agreement was just signed um, mm. i wasn't able to take part in that election and, and vote on it but mm. it, it had a big debate within christian circles because there was a view amongst some christians that you know we needed to support this agreement 
um, for the greater good to bring peace. And then there was another view about, you know, truth and justice. And was it right to allow, you know, people who had committed the, committed the most heinous crimes out of prison without having served their sentence? And there, there would have been a, a, a different view within that Christian community. And that kind of got me interested in what's, what's this all about and politics uh, coupled with that. A grandfather who very much was um, into his politics. Um, you know, he knew the late Dr. Paisley. He was a foundational member of the DUP when it first formed back in the 70s. And every time I would have visited the family farm when he was alive, it was just always politics. And uh, so that influence, I think, of family, um, what was going on at the time within Northern Ireland's politics. And also, you know, as a young person, wanting to know how I could serve the Lord, where I would go, you know, what, what kind of employment would I get into? And, you know, doors were opening and, you know, connections were being made and opportunities were being presented that just drew me into to politics. Um, and, and it was at 23, whenever I first stood for um, my local council area that I grew up in and, and um, was elected to that. And that started the political career for me um, being elected as a local councillor in Lisburn. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Paul Given, who's the member of the Northern Ireland Legislative Assembly for Lagan Valley and former First Minister of Northern Ireland. Paul, you talked about that kind of conflict between wanting to seek sort of peace and reconciliation on the one hand, but then wanting justice to be done on the other. You served as, as First Minister, which must have been a fascinating time. We'd love to hear something of but you served, obviously, alongside, as a Deputy First Minister, a Sinn Féin member uh, and worked alongside people with, certainly that party has a kind of uh, paramilitary heritage. How did that work out? How did you reconcile that? It, it, it presented challenges, and um, there, there's no doubt about that. You know, the, the period as First Minister was one that did come with immense pressure um, from day one. Um, and you could feel that weight of responsibility, um, particularly at a time when we were coming out of COVID and then some restrictions were being brought back in again. And, and you had this sense of you know, real duty to the wider public, as well as having to navigate your own internal constituency and just balancing out all of those issues. Um, and then that dynamic where, you know, DUP voters don't necessarily want us and, and, and um Instinctively, um, you know, we as a party wouldn't want to be sharing power with Sinn Féin, um, but because of the circumstances in Northern Ireland, that's what democracy throws up. And, and so you're, you're having to do that. Um, and yes, it does have challenges. There's no doubt about that. And there are people in Sinn Féin um, who, who did commit really serious crimes. And, and I have a family history that served in the police, that served in the prison service. You know, my father was a prison officer and, and some of the prisoners that he used to lock up, I sat with in committees at Stormont. And so I had that kind of personal experience of navigating that, knowing that these were people that, you know, my family very much were opposed to. And, and um, but now making politics work. And I always tried to look for where was the common ground that we could agree on, you know, and, and try and get agreement on those things and just find ways to navigate those areas of disagreement. And, and as I've always said to, to other believers um, who would challenge me about you know, serving in public life and is it not time that you have to make compromises which go against your faith? Mm -hmm. And I'll say to people, 
it's only in, in heaven that we're going to get that perfect form of government that everyone can can agree to and and you know, on earth you're having to find ways to navigate these things um for the the public good whilst also ensuring that you can live out your faith and in, in political life so undoubtedly it has challenges you have to present yourself uh, as best you can and you do need wisdom um the wisdom of solomon um if we could get a fraction of it as believers in politics um we, we would we'd be able to do a lot better than maybe we do it on occasions yeah now obviously there's this kind of compromise that the kind of professional relationship that you have but you work very closely with a, a deputy first minister and with other leaders of other parties in particular Sinn Féin in your position what were the personal relationships like and how did you manage that from a kind of Christian perspective? Well I, I always felt it was vital to have um, good working relationships um, at a professional level but that also requires you to have a, a personal relationship as well and, and you know talking about family and and making those connections because you can have all the the rules and procedures about you know how a government should work and in northern ireland how mandatory coalitions can work um but if you don't have good relationships no amount of uh, regulation can force people to work together in a constructive way and so you have to have that and where there were disagreements and there and, and there would have been i always would have tried to navigate that um, behind the scenes and not have it spill over into cabinet meetings um, where division could be seen. Um, and whenever times things may have got hated, yes, there were times when I wanted to maybe say things and, and you had to bite your tongue. Um, but I always felt that's important because once you have a you know, quite a personal fallout with somebody, you have to then piece that back together again. And so where there were disagreement, you know, I always felt you, you had to go the extra mile to try and navigate those conversations in a way that didn't lead to fallouts, even if you felt justified and maybe being more assertive and angry and, and all of that. Um, so you needed to try and, and make sure that you had, yes, a resolute position, but that you would um, bring that forward and conduct yourself in a way that didn't then damage long-term relationships. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're in a situation with the Assembly suspended and also the controversy about where we go with the Northern Ireland Protocol. How do you see your way through this situation? And uh, what should we as, as Christians um, who aren't from Northern Ireland, but who care about it, uh, how, how should we be praying? Well, I think that it, it's the same approach for Christians, whether it's Northern Ireland or across the United Kingdom. You, we're always taught to, to pray for whoever is in government, even if you don't agree with them mm. um, and, and you may not even like them. Um, but we still have to pray for those in authority. Um, and you know, we want to have a stable society. And as Christians, that's how the gospel you know, is able to prosper whenever you have peace and stability and you're able to talk to people. Mm. Um, and, and so we would just pray for, I think, wisdom that decisions can be taken where everybody can feel that they're part of that process in Northern Ireland. And, you know, that, that I think is going to be important that we get to an outcome at the end of this and, and we will get there and Storm will come back. And I'm confident about that. Um, but we get to an outcome where everybody feels um, that they can buy into that. And that, that, that's both unionists and it's nationalists. It's those who took a very strong view on Brexit and those who wanted also to stay part of the European Union. Um, and all of that is intertwined within the constitutional position and our relationship with the Republic of Ireland. 
And we need to find a way to, to land all of this where we get the broadest possible consensus. And we don't have that you know, at the moment. The, the Northern Ireland Protocol um, that was introduced um, does not have consensus and therefore there needs to be change. Uh, and I would be hopeful that actually the new prime minister um, you know, would have good relationships with people in the European Union. And if we can get an agreed position with the EU and the UK government and we get a negotiated position that achieves the objectives that we would like to see, um, that may well be the outcome that actually gets the greatest possible uh, buy-in from people across Northern Ireland. Um, you know, but I really hope that we get progress and we can get the institutions up and running. We also need to pray for that. Of course, the, the threat that, it, that the Prime Minister might plunge you in Northern Ireland into another election might be a, a threat that you could respond to by saying, well, you're not calling one for yourself, are you? So we'll see whether that, we, whether that weakens his hands and makes it more likely that you're given the freedom and the scope to try to well, that's true. find solutions together. But Paul, it's a great pleasure to speak to you. I wish we had so much longer because uh, intriguing to uh, see what it's like to, to be First Minister. Uh, and to hold that very lofty position and to be involved in what is a fascinating, if very troubling time in, in Northern Ireland. We really wish you well, grateful to you for your time, and we will certainly be praying for you. Well, thank you, Tim, and I, and I wish you well in, in your place as well and, and how you go about your business. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you and attempt to answer whatever question you want to send. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now this week, Sam in Newcastle has been in touch and he says this. He says, Tim, we've now had three prime ministers in a short space of time. Where can we find God in all of this? Well, I think there is a danger, isn't there, that maybe we, if we're not careful, look at politics and politicians as a kind of source of salvation, even if we don't really think that out loud and explicitly, that if person X gets elected or if party Y gets elected or if thing Z wins the referendum, then all will be well. And of course, our experience of life, the fact that we know that we're all flawed and sinners, we know that surely isn't the case. So whether we've had you know, three prime ministers in seven weeks or one prime minister for seven years, it kind of doesn't change that. I'm very much reminded of the account of uh, King Manasseh in uh, in the Old Testament, in the Book of Kings. Uh, he ruled for, oh, I think, more than 50 years. He must have done amazing things in those 50 years. You don't end up being uh, king for that length of time without doing lots of great things, probably winning wars, maybe building lots of towers and castles and uh, maybe roads and all sorts of other forms of infrastructure and doing great and grand and lofty things. But of course, the Bible spent a whole chapter focusing upon him, but barely a sentence on those kinds of things that he did when he was in power, uh, the things that he built, the things that he did as king. The major focus of the account in the Bible was where did he stand before God? Was he, uh, did he act uh, in accordance with God's will or was he evil in God's sight? And I'm afraid it was the latter with Manasseh. And so whether prime ministers last six weeks or whether they last 60 years, that's all that matters. We think that our, our, um, we're going to be judged on the basis of what we do in office and the coming election or at prime ministers' questions or something. No, the reality is that we are playing to an audience of one, even if we don't realise it. 
and that applies to prime ministers too. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, let's end in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you Rishi Sunak and his family as he takes on the office of Prime Minister. We pray you would give him wisdom and integrity and good judgment. We pray for the millions of people uh, in our country who will be affected by the decisions that he and his government makes. We pray especially for those people who are seriously struggling to afford to live uh, for whatever reason, rising prices, changing employment circumstances, uh, mortgage uh, increases, all those things that are impacting upon people. And we know that those things and certainly those people matter deeply to you. Above all else, though, Lord, people need to know uh, you, um, Lord Jesus. And we pray that through these coming days that things would occur in our country that would ensure that people hear the gospel and turn to it. We want to thank you for uh, Christians in politics like Paul Given. We thank you for his time as First Minister in Northern Ireland. We thank you for his service of his community. And we pray for him, for wisdom uh, and good judgment, but also for the whole of the country of Northern Ireland. We pray for resolution. Uh, of the impasse over uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol and relationships between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland and its neighbour in the Republic and the rest of the European Union. We pray for peace, we pray for wisdom, we pray for calm and we pray for unity. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, look, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes, which feature interviews with former leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for a mucky business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business. See you soon. Listener.